0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program, and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. I'm Steve Azar,
1: and I'm on the other side of the microphone. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. We are rocking in a Mississippi Minute today as our guest is a guy that as an artist knows his reputation of being a true MVP on the road. This Mississippi-born tour manager has worked, my goodness, with the likes of Leonard Skinner, Billy Ray Cyrus, I mean in their heydays, among other legendary acts. He has a brand new book that tells it all. Please welcome my longtime pal, Mr. Paul Abraham. Hey Paul, what's up?
2: Hey Steve, how you doing this morning, man? I'm
1: stumbling through it a little bit, obviously, but I'm gonna hang you know, I'll get there. I'll get there. Son, it takes you're me doing
2: a just fine. <laughs> you're doing just fine.
1: A lot different from being one. on stage, man. I'll tell you, it's funny just being on this side of the interview. It's been uh it's been enlightening because I've gotten yeah. to really know my buddies, you know, a lot better after uh After uh, learning, you know, doing my homework before and then talking through Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, uh, some stuff we never talked about. So I'm hoping that's going to be the case with me and you.
2: I think it's going to be perfect.
1: So everybody will know this. When I was trying to get there, uh, there were rarely anybody that was nice to me and my brother when we were trying to do it. And Paul was (laughs) always really nice to us.
2: Paul, I've always told you this just cherish the days when I used to work for Budweiser and the Azar family opened up the beer barn in Cleveland and also the one in Greenville. And and your brother Joe and I uh, became friends first. And I I met you later on, and uh, I tell you what, I've always loved the Azar family, a good old bunch of Lebanese folks in the Mississippi Delta and people are shocked about how many Lebanese folks live in this area.
1: Well, yeah, I mean uh, we've been uh we've been here since 1800, so it's it's a long time. <laughs> hey, hey, no kidding. I right, are talking to Paul it's Abraham. All- has amazing stories. He's got a brand new book out called The Gospel According to Abraham. And there's only uh, two road managers, Paul, that I know put out books. The other one was uh, what well, was the Kaufman fella. He used to work at Gold Mountain when I was an artist over there. Uh, mm-hmm. They called him the road mangler.
2: Yeah. Did you exactly. know him? I did know him. I sure did. I, of course, you know, all the road managers in, in, in the national area back in the day were kind of a – a fraternity, I guess you'd say, and we all shared stories. You know, you weren't supposed to be sharing
1: those stories. You know that, don't
2: you? Well, I know that's, right. <laughs> and you know what? Somebody when when I wrote this book, uh, Steve, somebody asked me, said, "Well, is it a tell-all book?" And I'm like. <laughs> Well, no, it's not a tell-all book, but if I don't get sued over this one, I might write the tell-all book. <laughs> You're taking baby steps.
1: I love it. Well, it was Phil Kaufman, and and he had an interesting story before he wrote his book because he stole the body. Is it Graham Parsons? Isn't that right? And mm mm-hmm, getting yeah. A, they, did they burn him in the desert or something because he wanted that, and then they ended up uh, something happened, and he ends up going to prison over it. That was a road manager really doing his
2: job beyond the call of road manager. Man, I am telling you the truth. I had some instances of uh, something like that, but we never burned any bodies. <laughs> All
1: right, so we're going to get to it. Okay, so you grew up in, in Leland, is that right? That's correct. All right, Leland, you went to Leland High School, and you were a ball player. I
2: did. Right? I did. I played football. I played basketball. Um. um Played baseball all through the years. I played against Archie Manning when I was like a, a young teenager and, uh, and wow. playing baseball, and then played uh, basketball and football against him. We played a um, North Mississippi championship game one time against Drew, and in basketball, and we beat him four to two.
1: Four to two. High four scoring game. Two. That was back in the three pointer <laughs> days. I see.
2: <laughs> it was ba- yeah, back in the no three pointer and no shot clock so, you guys could so, hold yeah, the ball a, that long yeah 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 you had to, you could you could you just pass the ball around and as long as you went past the timeline which was right above the key which is uh you get your 10 you know, seconds just above the foul right. line right. as long as you did that every 10 seconds you were cool you, you just never shot yeah
1: brought it you got your 10 seconds to get it down court as always you get there and yeah. then who watched that I mean that's like you know watching. Oh my paint God! Dry. I'm
2: gonna tell you something. We were playing at Philadelphia, and it's Philadelphia, Mississippi, and man, those country folks over there did not like. Well, Archie came out doing. He came out stalling the ball, and and we stole the <laughs> ball, and and our coach said, "Look, we can we just, we call time out," and our coach said, "We can do the same thing." <laughs> so we did. Both teams stalled the ball the whole game, and the final score was four to two, and it was it was the most boring ball game I have ever been a part of, but. Luckily, I was the sixth man on the team, and I never had to get off the bench. Oh my gosh! Right, that's right.
1: You didn't have anything to do. Well, you better no, off I watching. Nothing to do. So we're talking to Paul Abraham. All right, start talking about uh, what got you into tour managing, and for our listeners okay. to understand what a tour manager does. Uh, since I've had one for you know 25, 30 years, I want you to
2: explain it. Being a tour manager is like riding a bicycle. Only the bicycle's on fire and you're on fire and everything around you's on fire and it's all your fault. <laughs> you know? So that's basically what a tour manager is. But we look, man, when the when the contracts are signed, uh the tour manager gets the gets the contracts and pretty much it's his baby from then on. So once you get out on the road and if the hotels aren't right or your transportation's not right or if you're or if your media, you know, your media contacts aren't right, or something like that, it's going to be the tour manager's fault because the tour manager does a the thing they call the advance, which basically it's, uh, you know, it's what everybody, every tour manager does, and they hate doing it because a lot of times you'll call people and they don't call you back. But, um, you know, it's a, a necessary part of the program. It really is. I mean, if you don't get the advance rights, then you're you pretty much going to go out there and find things go wrong. So, uh, and, and me working with a band called Skinnerd.
0: Right. Love that.
2: <laughs> it, was, it was times, multiply times, seven band members and two female vocalists. 42 crew guys and <laughs> and then you know you know from then what you what was involved yeah
1: so what was your first tour manager was leonard Skinner your first time absolutely
2: around? was buddy it sure was wow. back in uh, 1974 my brother carl and i brought skinner to cleveland uh we played we had him play at the bolivar county expo center and we just became real good friends and uh 10 years after the plane crash, I was visiting Gary Rossington, uh, who's the leader of Skinner, up in uh, Wyoming. And we kept talking about that he had a bunch of promoters around the country that were looking to, they wanted to, for the band to get back together and do a tribute tour. And it was going to be a short thing, and, and it was going to be a one time deal, one-time deal and, and it was going to be done with. And. <laughs> Gary wasn't real sure whether he wanted to do it because he wanted to make sure it was done right. And and we were just talking about it one time, and he said, well, you know, Paul, and we were in in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where he lived. He said, Paul, I tell you what, if you'll you'll come out and do these shows with me, I'll do it. And I'm like, well, Gary, I've never done anything like this before. And he said, look, we're going to do 32 shows. You know, you can come out there, and you could sleepwalk through that. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So (laughs) 32 shows came and went, Ten years later, we were still out there doing it, and, and obviously it got to the point where I just, you know, I just couldn't do it with them anymore. It was, it was a hard, hard job, and I picked cotton before, buddy. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Well, so <laughs>
1: let's talk about you're talking about a zoo basically, or a circus, and uh, you're you're oh, talking yeah. about a lot of just a lot of personalities. Uh, you know, with with mm-hmm. everybody with me on the road, you really have to deal with me, and and then everything falls from there. But with you guys. Y'all, you guys, like you said, big, big, big band. You have your yep. band's families, or girlfriends, yeah. or boyfriends, or, you know, or guests, or friends, or whatever. You're dealing with all that. I mean, I mean everything the promoter, the hotel rooms, the food, the catering the it never ends, so the bus drivers Absolutely. The, so you're running the, a circus
2: the, exactly and it was it was a three ring circus too, and it really was uh, at one point, Artemis Pyle, who was our drummer, yeah, he brought out he he was living in Jerusalem when we started this tour <laughs> so he brought out three members of the Israeli army and a rabbi. Wow. So, so so we had all these extra people riding on the bus and I mean it really it it created havoc at times but you know it was it was all worth it Steve. I mean you know the all the the um to be able to be out standing uh, in the wings at on the you know on the show night. Right. And watching those people in the audience. I mean some of them had you know, tattoos all over them, and some of them were big biker guys, and some of them were just, you know, just good old, good old-fashioned blue-collar worker Americans. And some of them would be—I mean, they'd be smiling, they'd be laughing, they'd be crying. I mean, it was just a the whole gamut of emotion. And to be able to sit there and witness that, especially for for Skinner t- it just meant so much to me. Because, I mean, you know, back in the day, they were probably my favorite band, and and um, some of their music is still some of my favorite music.
1: They were the ones that sort of brought the whole Southern rock thing to uh, fruition. And, yeah.
2: Well, we're going to talk
1: more about, about your experience with them and more. We're with Paul Abraham. He's got a brand-new book that almost tells all because he's waiting to see if he's going to get sued or not. The Gospel According to <laughs> Abraham. I'm Steve Azar. You're in <laughs> the Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back.
0: Easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Steve Azar. We're back in a Mississippi Minute. We're with Brother Paul Abraham, one of the greatest tour managers ever. And that is a fact. And he's a local boy. Grew up in a small town uh, right around the block from uh, another uh, small guy named Jim Henson who invented the Muppets and created the Muppets. So a lot of talent coming out of that, that little town of Leland. Paul. Take us on some journeys in your book, and just don't give it all away, but we, we want to tease some people and make them go buy the book since we're talking about Leonard Skinard, you know give me a story or two that you can remember that just sort of okay. uh, never left your you know never left you
2: okay well this is, this is one that probably will never leave me. We were doing a, a European tour, and we had just finished a show in Berlin, and we were going to drive overnight from Berlin to Paris. I was getting everybody ready to go, calling everybody. So all right, get your bags ready. The, the bellman be coming by to pick it up. As soon as the bellman comes by to pick up your bags, you get you know get down and get on the bus, and we'll head on out. So I got to looking for Leon Wilkerson, which was at one point in time I was going to name my book "Looking for Leon" because that's what I did. Spend a lot of time doing. So I knew where he'd be. I went down in the bar, and sure enough, he was sitting there with this. I mean this. Gruff-looking, long-haired, greasy kind of looking, tattooed fella, and I said, "Leon," I said, "We need uh, we need your bags, and we need you on the bus here in about five minutes." And he <laughs> and he looked at me, and this other guy looked at me. He says, and he talked to me in his thick, thick British accent. He says, "Well, don't you know who I am?" And I'm like, uh, I said, "No," I said, "I really don't care who you are." I said, "But <laughs> we got to get Leon on the bus." He said, "Well, well, I'm Lemmy Kilmister of." Uh, um, I can't even remember the band that he played for at the time, but anyway, we go on, we go on, and, and finally, I just tell Leon, I said, look, Leon, you need to get on the bus, and let's go, so Leon got his stuff, and and uh, anyway, Lemmy, who, you know, anybody that's probably listening to this uh, interview knows who he is, But but he was just this big rough-looking guy, and he's since passed on And uh, like a lot of our guys. We, anyway, we drove on to Paris. Uh, we had a day off in Paris, and we got to go see the Louvre and uh, went to Jim Morrison's grave. That was a night off, and then the next night, <clears throat> we were playing a show at a um, little club. A thousand, about a 1,000 people in the room. And after Sweet Home Alabama, the band would always go to the dressing rooms, and I emphasize rooms, because this night we only had one. All the guys get in the dressing room, and, it, and this pushing match starts between a couple of the guitar players and the lead singer, and and the lead singer's going a little nuts. I mean, he'd been drinking a bunch of Jack Daniels that night, yeah. and uh, we get all of that straightened out, and we get them back on the stage to finish the show with Freebird, and then we get them back on the, on the vans to go back to the hotel, and we get back to the hotel, and it starts up again. Johnny Van Zant takes a swing at Ed King, <laughs> breaks his. I was about to ask him was his Johnny singing? Finger. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> breaks his bird finger, his sly guitar finger as well. And um, <laughs> two nights later, we had a Westwood One show to do in in London, and so we had to call off that part of the show. Ed still played it, and he did fine, but he didn't want anything recorded, you know, just in case he made super big mistakes. But anyway, as that night went on. I thought everything was all settled down, and, and I get a call from somebody about 2 in the morning Said Johnny's either trash in his room. His wife was there with him. They were, they were concerned about her. <laughs> so I go, and I knock on the door, and I hear all this ruckus in there, and, and his wife opens the door, and, and Johnny looks like he's possessed by the devil. And so he picks up one of these uh, rack things with the straps on it and the metal and all he, the, the, that you put your suitcases on, right and he, he slung that thing at me and hit me right across my shins and then he starts running at me and i did what any old mississippi delta redneck whatever you want to call me would do son i hit him right between the eyes when he got <laughs> close enough <laughs> I, and and as soon as i hit him blood went everywhere yeah. and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna get fired over this well the gendarmes came to the door. They were going to put me in jail. They were going to put him in jail. And I somehow talked them out of putting anybody cause in because you're a great tour manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they would try me real hard when we got overseas, though. I'm going to tell you the truth. It seemed like every time we got in some foreign country, they would just really go out on a limb to see how far they could push it, see how far I could go to right. to maybe n- not rescue em. But anyway the next morning I'm waiting downstairs by the bus to get everybody on the bus. Johnny comes down with sunglasses on and, and he kinda grimaces at me and his wife looked at me and kinda gave me a half smile and then Gary Rossington and his wife come out and he said, Paul, he said, I really don't want to fly on the same plane that Johnny's on today. Can you book us a new flight?
1: Unbelievable.
2: And I'm like and I'm like, Oh my god, here I gotta book a flight in, in a five minute span. But anyway, <laughs> I said, Gary, I tell you what, man, I don't really want to fly with him either. I said, why don't we just take the bus? We don't have a show tonight. Why don't we take the bus and we'll cross the English Channel in the bus and we'll <laughs> take a little leisurely trip back to London like that. He said, very cool. So we, we hopped the ferry. Uh, right there going across the channel and uh stopped and got us some good fishing chips along the way yeah. and and just uh, you know enjoyed the trip instead of getting fired i got a bonus so uh, how that, about that so anyway for a good ride, right, that, that was one of them.
1: you're running an adult daycare service unbelievable
2: yeah, and you throw in you throw in jack Daniels and yeah. any other you oh, know, yeah. extracurricular stuff you know that that comes about and then you know, it's it's really a hard job. Just like I said, it's the hardest hardest job I've ever had in my life. Now, later on, when I went to work for Billy Ray Cyrus, it was a whole different story. Well, I, mean, yeah, we, I want to talk I, about
1: Billy Ray, because I got to know Billy Ray on a plane ride to, oh, to yeah. the West Coast. Super, I lo-
2: love super, oh, super nice. Guy. Very
1: intelligent, Absolutely. has the country, plays the country, whatever, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. really smart guy, good guy. And uh, obviously took the world on and, and took Nashville on. I mean, he really, they just wouldn't accept him. And I'm going like, I felt that way that they wouldn't take him. And he, he was the first one to sell all those records at one time. I mean, he did such mm-hmm. an amazing job. And then he goes and does acting and he does all he's successful every step along the way. Which tells mm-hmm. you it wasn't luck, and also that he was appealing to a lot of people. We're talking to Paul Abraham. He's got a new book called "The Gospel According to Abraham." It's a great title? It's a great book. I love the cover. It's got a tour bus on the front. Hey, so you know, I, I you know, you would have loved me because, I mean. I always was worried about the tour manager i still am worried about the promoter worried about the band worried about the driver i'd go check on him Mm -hmm. i'd come out they said the bear is coming out of his cave i was in the very back locked up and uh, i would come out and i'd go check on the driver and just go to stay up with him sometimes in the middle of the night you know our hours are all messed up i realized on the bus you just need to sleep when you sleep and don't fight it and if you're up five hours in the middle of the night, that's just the way it is. You sleep during the day, and and uh, uh, yeah. you, your clock's all messed up. And it's it's good when yeah. you're on the road, but when you get home, you got to get it right for your family. But we were there, and yeah. I remember I had my bus, and I would do things like it would be 11 at night, and I'd call my driver to come pick me up in the bus to go to Taco Bell. I mean, that was like the hardest most horrible thing I ever did to my driver. You would have loved to have worked with me because
2: Oh my God, are you kidding me? You I, you would have been a walk in the
1: park. Oh my goodness. Paul, let's jump into Billy Ray. Okay. You have so many artists that you that you manage. Was Billy Ray the easiest?
2: Oh, without a doubt. I mean I did work with Michael Peterson as well and he was he was really easy too. But Billy Ray was more of a, a, a hands off type guy. I mean he didn't want you. He didn't want you just you know fussing over him. You know he wanted to. He wanted to. He did a lot of things on his own. I mean, there, there was a lot of times when I wouldn't see Billy till about right you know fifteen minutes before meet and greet.
0: Right. <clears throat>
2: because he's out. He's out seeing the country, doing stuff on his bus or whatever. He would usually fly in. It was about the time he was doing that show, Doc, and then he started doing the Hannah Montana thing. So Billy would fly in on the on a on a charter jet and do the show and do the meet and greet. And then he'd jump back on that jet and be gone. And Lord knows, I mean, I loved, I loved Billy to death. And I loved him for that reason, because he really and truly let us do what we wanted to do. After we saw national parks all across the country, which, you know, we, yeah. we'd go spend two days in New York city when we had days off or just, you know, just whatever we wanted to do. He said, man, just go do it and have a good time and be sure and buy the band a dinner on me and then and believe wow. me we would always do that too yeah always but right. just good. a super good guy man i mean just one of one of the nicest people i've ever known music business or otherwise
1: right his daughter has been on fire she's been in the press she's been whatever but you give me a pop star in this day and age i don't think it comes with being, being perfect to society i think you got to shake it up a little bit uh a la madonna and i think the girls in this generation sort of feel like that that's sort of dealt taylor's done a great job taylor swift of sort of maintaining Mm -hmm. some sort of balance the whole way through um but Mm -hmm. they're they're trying you know the media tries to find a way to even uh get to her and whatever but you know she's a great girl and i think that they do what they have to do to compete uh, and stay in the limelight, and I think some of it's almost like this—it's it, acting. You know what I mean? Just to, you know to make sure, See, that, and that's every, how they get their music hurt.
2: Everything that happened with uh, Miley from the time she was about ten years old was planned. Everything that happened with Miley was pretty much planned. I, I love mean, it. all the way down, even even the wrecking ball. Okay, so. Right. It was, all, it was all planned. They knew what they were doing. And right now, that child is worth about a half a billion dollars with a B.
1: Which is why I'm telling you the family is so intelligent. And for some reason, Music Row was beating on Billy Ray so bad. Man, I thought Billy Ray could sing great. I, thought, I loved how he was with his fans. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just another whole story. We're with Brother Paul Abraham, one of the greatest tour managers ever. I'm Steve Azar. You're in Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back.
0: If Alexa's part of your life, you've got one more way to access Super Talk. Super Talk Mississippi is now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Once enabled, just say, Alexa, play Super Talk Mississippi at any time and start listening. It's that easy. Just one more way to stay informed and connected with your state. Learn more at supertalk.fm slash Alexa. Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Now available on Amazon Alexa devices in a mississippi minute with steve azar right here on super talk mississippi
1: i'm steve azar you are in a mississippi minute we're with brother paul abraham Uh, the new book is called the gospel according to abraham Paul uh tell us about your dad and uh, growing up and and the influence he had on you in the radio station obviously it started there I had the liquor store Yeah my dad had the first legal yeah. liquor store in Mississippi so I was obviously speaking an attractive of, place speaking for blues of guys
2: Which Oh, Steve! I've got to give you a plug on. Listen, buddy. What I do? I was listening. I was listening to your new CD the other day, and listening, listening into the the story about the Jigger and Jug, and then yeah. the story about uh, Rena Laura. Oh my God! I love such it. Such good, um, such good music. I mean, such oh, good you. music in the the. The the players are just excellent. So, well, a lot of the guys you, played you know, with
1: Bobby Blue Bland, BB B. King, Elvis. I mean, yeah. Little Milton. So it was yeah. the guys you and yeah. I grew up with playing with these heroes of ours, and uh, just yeah. to get to, and we're going to play quite a few dates together. Not you know, we're hoping it's going to end up being around twenty five or thirty together this year. I'm still mm-hmm. doing my regular band thing, and then a lot of solo stuff. So, but yeah. I loved writing that record, and you know the funny thing about it, Paul, I couldn't write down at the liquor store until I'd lived life. Uh, gone to Nashville for 20 years come back home and it's funny all I did was uh, it just kind of came out everything had already been mm-hmm. written when I was a child but I just wasn't capable of putting it down on paper you know or in song yeah. Yeah. so it's interesting how you have yeah. to go through that to let it happen and, I, and I've always preached that that, that a great song any time you write something great that sticks out is you're sort of in your subconscious yeah. and you've lived it and just it it's like when it's ready to eat it's ready to eat you know it makes itself. There yeah, you go, buddy. All right, so keep going. I appreciate that. So let's talk about you growing radio. up in this radio business. Yeah,
2: my dad my dad had WESY radio station in Leland, Mississippi, which mm-hmm. was – when they first bought it, it was an easy listening station, and he had several partners, and he told them, he said, look, I want to turn this into a soul station, into a black station. Well – some of them balked on him, and and so my dad and one other gentleman bought everybody else out, and they turned it into a black station. I mean, it, it did extremely well. So um, anyway, my dad, you know, he he got us to listening to all different kinds of music. He encouraged us to play music, and me and all and both of my brothers have all all played music. We played in the Leland band, Leland High School band, and um, you know, it was just one of those things that 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 everybody, everything that that we did in our life and our young lives had to do with with my father's encouragement and you just don't get that a lot these days you no, know what you mean? i mean i lot had of the people same thing. Say,
1: i had the same encouragement
2: yes, but yeah every, everybody says you got to go to college you know you got to go get your degree you got to do this you got to do that and well my dad my dad was just the opposite i mean he he of course he wanted everybody to go to college which we did but um he wanted us to find out about the arts, and he wanted us to find out about sports, and you know, and, and different things like that. And he, you know, I think the education part of it was secondary to him, but you know, it it it, it doesn't go without saying that uh, that we did do well in school, <laughs> but, right? But you know, because if we didn't, there was another uh, another right. uh, form of, <laughs> of punishment waiting on us, but. <laughs> But he just, you know, he and just it fit a thirty-four like inch
1: waist, putting... right?
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Boy, he put that belt on us. Boy, I mean, nowadays it would probably be child abuse. Oh, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it yeah. was something, something that was needed, buddy. I guarantee <laughs> you back then. But yeah, he, like I was saying a few minutes ago, he he had a uh, um, advertising rep in Memphis that said, uh, "Man." this band the beatles is coming to town do you want us to get you want me to get you some tickets and my dad said yeah get me a row <laughs> so so he got my me and my friends uh all the we had the 12th row to see the beatles at the mid-south coliseum come on buddy yeah, yeah, that started it for me i mean it was like uh you know this is fun and this is kind of what i would like to see you know to do in my life and then you know, later on, when my dad still had the station, call my brother Carl and I decided to uh, start this promotion company. And how how old were you Cleveland. at
1: the time, Paul? But you and Carl? Um,
2: I was twenty nine. I think. oh, so
1: you're older, like I was. I mean, I mean, things in the music business really started to happen in a you know the way it was that, that I needed it to happen when I was later. It was I was older. You know, although I did it as a oh, kid, oh yeah, of course, it took a long yeah, time, yeah. man. Long time. So, so you're 29, and Carl's uh, older brother, right?
2: Yeah, he was he was two years older than okay. I was. Okay, so and um, we started bringing bands to Cleveland, and then we brought a couple down to the to the waterfront on Greenville uh, in Greenville when they used to do that festival down there. And uh, you know, we just had fun doing it. I, we never made a lot of money doing it, but we had fun doing it. We made some really good friends. Obviously, later in life, I went to work for Skinner, and um, it just you know it was. I guess it was all written in the stars.
1: you know what's funny is you start with the most complicated job you could possibly have. your first tour managing <laughs> days it can it can't I'm, I'm trying to think of other bands that it could be more complicated, and there's no way you you started yeah. at the hardest possible tour managing gig there could possibly be. I mean, is well, there any I, other I, band we you they, think of?
2: No, 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 not at all, but the thing about it is and and thankfully, I didn't start out as tour manager, Gary just wanted me to come out with him, and so they put me on as head of security right well, within uh within you know after the first leg of the tour, they realized that I was much more than the head of security and then they made me tour manager and it, it became um you know that was my job for the whole time I worked for them, and It was, uh, like you said, it was not an easy gig, buddy.
1: Paul, have you always been uh, the type to the details, you know, details, details? Have you always been really organized as a kid growing up?
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) Not even, man. I tell you what, I had to learn that on the fly. I really did. And it was, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't that hard, especially after being out there with them for, you know, six months and then, seeing what things could be done differently to make it a little bit easier on everybody and that more than anything else was my education you know I just I just had to I just had to really learn on the fly and I did
1: it's amazing amazing talking to Paul Abraham he's got a new book out was called the gospel according to Abraham I love that that's just sort of meant to be that that title hey Paul so how can people get the book Uh, what's the easiest way
2: well, the easiest way is obviously Amazon, but okay. you know what? Amazon isn't the best for authors. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, people can get it at. Uh, I'm gonna say this just one time, and hopefully everybody can understand what I'm saying. It's www the word verve v e r v e those are victory e r victory e dot com forward slash shop. That's my publisher. And that would be as easy a way to get it as uh, unless you see me walking down the street someday, and you could ask me for one then, and I'll take yeah. care of you. But but uh, th- those are the two best ways to get it, Amazon and the word VERVE.
1: The word VERVE, V-E-R-V-E, you said, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. My wife always says I have trouble with my B's and V's, and I do, and that's just because I <laughs> didn't see things spelled when I was younger, but that's just the way it is. So, Mississippi being the birthplace of American music. We are it. You get to yeah, play you get without to play DJ yeah, baby. You get to play DJ. Tell me, would you like to hear a little Son Thomas or a little Eugene Powell?
2: Well, I tell you what. First of all, I'd love to hear Son Thomas playing Mukaw Blues or, or maybe old Sam Chapman from down in Hollandale, Mississippi. Yeah. Um you know, brown skinned woman. Oh my gosh. And uh and, and Steve, just so you know, I just learned a song this past week. It's called Mississippi Delta Blues. That was probably written 100 years ago by Jimmy Rogers, which is probably one. I mean, you've got to look that up sometime. It's the. It's just the coolest song you will ever hear, and it's about the Mississippi Delta.
1: I love you. You're and the only one that's ever taken this, uh, get to play a song to a new level. Usually everybody's going, what, you want me to play DJ? Like, I said, yeah, I want you yeah, to play DJ.
2: Yeah. See, you can tell yeah, you're in the I, music I, business. I, Oh my goodness well you know my dad had a radio station and I got to meet the uh, oh my god a whole bunch of blues singers way back in Bobby Rush he um uh, I, I saw him in Tunica not too long, well a few years ago at uh, Bobby Blue Bland's 80th birthday party I walked up to Bobby and told him I said look uh, Bobby I said uh, I said you might remember my dad uh, Miller Abraham and I mean Bobby Rush got tears in his eyes but wow he said he said, "Your dad has, has had as much to do with making my career what it was as anybody. He really did."
1: Talking to Paul Abraham, you're in a Mississippi minute on the downside of all sixty of them. Paul, being a Mississippi Delta boy, understands what that means. We like to take our sweet time and uh, and enjoy the ride. So, Paul, so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're with the great Paul Abraham. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi minute. Uh, stand by. I get that Mississippi Delta blue.
2: The the
0: feeling down. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: I'm Steve Azar. You are in a Mississippi Minute. We're with Brother Paul Abraham. Uh, The new book is called The Gospel According to Abraham. Uh, Paul, let's talk about another chapter in your book. Talk about Billy Powell. Billy liked to drink a little bit. You know, I don't know what it yeah. was about this that that generation of artists. You know, a lot of my friends, I mean, I feel like we're just so soft and like we miss that side of it. But, man, I, I got my high off of playing. And I still get my high off of playing music. There's no alcohol, no nothing that can make me feel any better than it does when the mm-hmm. music is right and and the sound mm-hmm. is right on the stage and the people reacting right. I mean, that to me has always been it for me. So I'm probably a little vanilla in that regard, although I feel like I'm pretty – that I've, I was edgier than most in Nashville. But you're Absolutely. dealing with a lot of people back in the day that were doing a lot of extracurricular uh, things to their body, and a lot of mm-hmm. them were performing with it. And all that. So tell me tell me some stories maybe about Billy Powell, just one in particular.
2: Billy Powell, just just a quick thing. He had a bad drinking problem, obviously. He drank vodka. He drank a lot of Budweiser, too, but he'd drink vodka, and he would hide it. Uh, He would would call room service and tell them to send him up a a glass of vodka so it would look like it was glasses of water. I caught up on that, but one time we were in Japan for literally 14 days, played six or seven shows while we were there. Billy Powell was pretty much in blackout mode the whole time from alcohol. The boy (laughs) never missed a note on the piano, never miss. How's that possible? Your
1: fingers from your brain, I
2: just... Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, and that's the whole thing. And and Billy, too, um, one time I got a call from, um, well, it was our management, and they said that Billy was in Jacksonville, and he had pulled up in a hotel room, and he was drinking, and he wouldn't come out, and they wanted me to bring him to Mississippi. I live way in the country, I'm sorry, to Mississippi, in Nashville, I was living way in in the country, outside of Nashville. So I, I flew down there, and our our stage manager who lives down there in Jacksonville with him was uh, he went and he saw Billy, and he told Billy that I was coming there to to take him to to Tennessee, and Billy he said okay let's do it. So Billy jumped on the plane with me, brought him home with me. We lived at the end of a gravel road out in Dixon County. I'm out there, and Billy was there with me for a couple of months, and um, no alcohol, no Valium, you know. God, you're a doctor, too. No anything. You have to be a doctor. Yeah. You know, I was his counselor. (laughs) So one day, I had to go into town, and I come back home, and I see this car, and it looks like a rental car. And it's out in this field cutting donuts, and uh, then I see that it's Billy Powell driving, who hadn't had a driver's license since he was 15 years old. He was cutting donuts, and and I see this guy's in the car with him, this supposedly friend of mine from Texas. He just came in unannounced, and he brought, you know, 12-pack of beer Uh. and, uh, and a bottle of Valium
1: there goes and the intervention
2: much, i mean <laughs> there it went man it went right out the window and and that next day billy was on a plane going back to jacksonville so he, you know he was just the salt of the earth so i mean he's such a good guy and and uh he was always back before i worked for the band he was always the one that i would be talking to about this and that and yeah. my brother carl would go down and visit him and uh when he lived down in jacksonville and you know, it was just um, the 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 relationship I had with Billy was was definitely a, a, a love and not so love so much relationship because he was probably the hardest one to deal with the whole. Well, it's time. so funny well,
1: you've got to have this great tolerance, and somewhere along the line, you except for the the right hand, you when you hit Johnny Van Zant, I mean, somewhere along the line, well, you had to do that. You didn't have a choice. So either you go down or he does. He he was the one in attack mode, so you were just defending yourself. But you had to have learned this patience of Job, patience along the way. Um, I'm the guy that wrote Waiting on Joe. I struggle with patience. I still struggle with patience. I still believe yeah. that people should be on time. We're talking to Paul Abraham. Your bucket list, Paul, you talk about in the book your bucket list.
2: The, uh, the chapter that I wrote about, the bucket list, was about another fellow's bucket list. There was a, a guy in Nashville. His, uh, he was a, uh, a bass player, but he had brain cancer. and He was 34, 35 years old. I get off the road one time, and my manager calls me and asks me if I know anybody that wants wants to drive this guy to Alaska. or do I know a bus driver that' like to take these folks to Alaska? They had done a benefit farm and gathered up thirty or forty thousand dollars and they wanted to you know this guy to go see the northern he wanted to take his family to see the northern lights and he couldn't fly because of his condition anyway long story short, I ended up driving him and his wife all the way from uh, Nashville to Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. (laughs) And that's as far as we could go until we thought we'd better turn around and come back because we didn't know whether he was going to make the trip all the way back or not. So Mm. anyway, we made the trip. We saw the northern light, got home, and two weeks later, he passed away. Wow. It was probably one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my life, and to tell you the truth, Steve, my bucket list is pretty much done because I've been in all fifty, I've been in in so many cities, and I've been around the world a few times, and I just don't know of anything else that that I can do that would um, that would compare.
1: We've seen it all, and we came back home to our Delta Roots and the Mississippi Roots because there is no place like home. Paul, I can't thank you enough. Everybody, you've got to check out the book, The Gospel According to Abraham. Uh, he goes into great detail about a lot of these, uh, these uh, crazy musicians. Uh, I'll see you uh, on the streets. Uh, somewhere and in the next day uh, or two.
2: You'll see me at the Mighty Mississippi Music Show. Oh, Festival yeah. Too, buddy. I love
1: it, brother. Have I love time. you, brother. Thank you so much for love you taking too, the time.
2: All right. Later. Okay, on. buddy. Bye.
1: I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. Media Production.